You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Scott, what about a family movie based on a classic cartoon? I don't know. We've already done Ninja Turtles and Transformers and He-Man. Remember He-Man? It had Dolph Lundgren in it. No, like more classic. Like Betty Boop? No, no, no. Too far back. Too classic. Think Boomer classic. George of the Jungle. Ooh, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the 1997 classic film, George of the Jungle. Is that a classic? I just said classic a hundred times in the intro and (laughs) felt like I needed to keep it going. Um... Yeah, I don't know if it's a classic movie or a classic cartoon. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair. It was. I think the, the original cartoon ran seventeen episodes, right? Oh, is that what Wikipedia said? Is that that's what Wikipedia says? Yeah. Okay, so I actually have very fond memories of cartoon of the cartoon as a child, but thinking back on it, this is my suspicion. They announced this movie. They were making this movie. They did the obvious like VHS re-release of those old cartoons and then my parents i don't think my dad had like a deep affinity for it or like loved it growing up just maybe remembered it i was like oh well there's all these vhs's for rent this movie's coming out in the summer i'll show the kids this george of the jungle cartoon but i i am confident i have seen all of the original cartoons on vhs because my parents rented them and for years i thought it was like because my dad loved it and showed it to me but the more i think about it i think they were just available at the video store that month and it was something to put on um it was something your parents recognized and and thought they could bring bring home to you that you might enjoy yeah yeah it wasn't like again i don't think it was like my dad was a diehard fan and he couldn't wait to show me george of the jungle i think he's just like i'm familiar with this here you go (laughs) i was trying to figure out where this falls in the brendan fraser filmography because i was like there's no way he did this post the mummy right and indeed the Mummy is 1999, so this is a couple of years pre him becoming like a big action star. Mm-hmm. What was this? Was this post Airheads, probably? Oh, for sure. And probably yeah. post uh, Encino Man. Right? Encino yeah, Man is 92, this. and Airheads is 94, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, He we sort of picked this one because uh, uh, Brendan Fraser having a moment, a real culturally relevant moment uh, with, with the whale... And some other cool projects. Uh, do either of you watch Doom Patrol? No. No, actually. No, me neither. I'm glad good- I asked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've heard good things about it. I have some friends who watch it and say that it's it's a very good show. And I just mm-hmm. unfortunately have... I'm way behind on my television viewing is the, the simple yeah. truth of that fact. So I also I was, I was also thinking about this movie's release in 1997. Um, 
doing the math on it is even though I said my parents weren't like diehard fans is this that sort of 30 year nostalgia cycle thing where they're like hey let's make a family movie based on cartoons people who are adults now now being 1997 would remember like is this the equivalent of like you know the how there's like a Power Rangers movie and a Ninja Turtles movie like in the same way, a bunch of nostalgia movies based on cartoons from our youth, because we're all 35 to 45, was this the like the equivalent of that in 1997? There were a lot of movies that were um, out in the late 90s and like leading up to the turn of the uh, turn of the millennium uh, that all came out of like the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Mm-hmm. And George of the Jungle is in there, and Rocky and Bullwinkle, and uh, Dudley Do Right, which I think was another Brendan Fraser movie. Actually, I like, think they you're right. all I came out all about that. Yeah, they all came out like around the same time. So I wonder if there was like, uh, if there was, if Universal Pictures was just doing like kind of like a thing where they were trying to reboot all of these old properties, maybe for a new generation. Yeah. The Flintstones was uh, was nineteen ninety four. Yeah, you know what? This was this was them cashing in on Boomer's thirty year nostalgia cycle, <laughs> and there the same go. way that yeah. we're you know we're getting Ninja Turtles and Transformers and stuff geared at uh, yeah. at uh, is that the, the new Ninja Turtles, the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Those old yeah. ones were striking while the iron was hot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this one definitely feels like what do we have left in the tank? Like <laughs> you know, it's like we we've done Flintstones, we've done some other things. Like what else is there? I'm just waiting for the like once the once we're past the cycle and there's like the Ben 10 movie that I'm like just you know we're too old to have any yeah <laughs> nostalgia for you know <laughs> the secret world of Gumball cinematic universe um, yeah well I didn't recognize that reference so there, <laughs> there yeah, you go there you I'm go. already I'm already getting there I'm I was pulling the only Nickelodeon cartoons from the last decade I could think of. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, but I, so I, I, just with this movie, was this y'all's first time with it, with this film? <laughs> yes, uh, Anita apparently had seen this movie around the time it came out, uh, and she informed me that she remembered it being fine. Um, <laughs> that was the highest praise she could give it, uh, but I have never actually seen the George of the Jungle movie until literally yesterday, at the time <laughs> of this recording, and I sat down with Anita to watch it, and uh it barely held her attention. Um, I was, I was watching the movie, and Nita was more interested in scrolling through Instagram. And that is the first, the first movie that we have ever watched together. For I have some notes where she couldn't even be bothered to watch it. <laughs> Sweet, uh, I, I feel that energy, Anita, because I wanted to pull up my phone. And in fact, yeah. I, I paused the movie several times off the top because I kept getting distracted with other things. <laughs> yeah, for a movie that's as frantically paced as this film is, it is it is not good at holding your focus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, I had a sort of a unique experience because I, I was 10 when this movie came out. So I had seen it like at least twice as a kid, had fond enough memories of it. Uh, again, don't think it was like a classic, but uh, my partner, Amanda, who I watched this with and who was the listener who suggested this particular film... <laughs> Was very excited to watch this because this was one of her childhood favorites. Her and her brother probably watched it a, a dozen times, um, and so we we kind of we we 
mostly like I got to live vicariously through her nostalgia right. for it and some of my own. We kind of went into it pretty excited to watch it and and had a nice <laughs> afternoon watching it, even though it it I I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again in my life. <laughs> Hold on, so. Your partner recommended this movie, and Greg's mm-hmm. partner recommended Jaws, our previous movie. Does that mean Nita gets a turn to recommend a movie now? I think it, y- yes, and also our listeners need to recommend us more movies to do. Uh, it's <laughs> true, actually. But yeah, whatever Anita wants to wants to pick, we can. I don't know if that's fair on the listeners. We, the, we this was a, this is a little bit more nepotism on our part because yeah. we've got a bunch of the listener movies already lined up coming up. So. Um, but yeah, no, we uh, we didn't pick this so much as uh, Amanda suggested it, and more again because because Brendan Fraser's it was a moment. No, for sure, yeah. it was absolutely for the algorithm, <laughs> not to appease my girlfriend. Um, but of course, this is uh, like we said, it came out in 1997, directed by Sam Wiseman, written by Dana Olson and Audrey Wells, based on the 1967 cartoon George of the Jungle. Uh, stars the aforementioned Brendan Fraser uh, as the titular uh, George, King of the Jungle. Uh, Leslie Mann as Ursula Stanhope, Thomas Hayden Church as Lyle Vandegroot, uh, Richard Roundtree as Kwame, and John Cleese as the voice of an ape named Ape. Uh, right out the gate, I want to say Ape looked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, for a 1997 animatronic face and guy in a monkey suit, Ape looked solid. Like, that is a special effect that totally holds up. Yeah, the, the, his emotions, like, were totally readable, and yeah, it, uh, yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, I also want to say right out of the gate, Leslie Mann looked great. Uh, that <laughs> <laughs> Also hold, the animatronics for Leslie Mann also hold yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, Except top notch. Voted so well, really believable. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, Brendan Fraser looks great in... in Late '90s with his shirt off, he he, he looks Holy like a, does a he ever? Just, that was kind of his shit. <laughs> that was kind of his brand at that time, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, like he was the the hot like dope. Like that was that right. was kind of his typecast for a while. Uh, until again, the Mummy, where he showed that he actually has great action hero chops. So mm-hmm. I honestly wondered a couple times watching it. I was like, "Is Brendan Fraser too hunky for this movie?" Because, <laughs> because I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also was wondering I, I, there was a bunch of the lines Leslie Mann delivers and I was like do you think they wanted Joey Lauren Adams and they got Leslie Mann like you know because <laughs> that that there's kind of like I'm, I'm talking like this and I'm cute really made me I got big Joey Lauren Adams vibes and I think oh, she was really? a bit more of a star in 97 more than Leslie Mann was and I, I just I wonder if she you know that's who they wanted, and they got Leslie Mann. No offense to her, because she did great, and she had a great career after. Um, having having uh, yeah. watched some of the cartoon in preparation for it, I think she kind of just was doing the character a little bit. Because okay. uh, that is how the, the original character sounds to me. So, yeah, it's, it's just working off the material. Uh, I was surprised to see Thomas Hayden Church in this movie. Like, wow, what a get. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a very good actor, and he's in George of the Jungle. And plays a very funny character, actually. Lyle is is a great comic villain for yes. the small amount of the film that he's in. <laughs> well, yeah, let's uh, let's actually go to the go to the trailer, get our audience caught up, because maybe not everyone uh, are '90s babies who who love this movie through and through, uh, like uh, me and my partner and some other people I talk to. Uh, so let's let's get you up to speed with the plot summary and trailer. Deep in the African jungle lives a mysterious figure. 
His name is legendary. His strength is remarkable. And his theme song is pretty good too. It was a jungle day like any other jungle day, hot, humid, and full of gorillas. George, king of the jungle, was playing fetch with his pet elephant when suddenly a cry for help rang through the trees. A beautiful woman named Ursula had been abandoned by her blue-blooded coward of a fiancé and left to defend herself against a massive lion. George, the aforementioned king of the jungle, including lions, dispatched the overgrown kitty with ease. Ursula accompanies the ape-man back to his treehouse, and George finds his heart pounding whenever she's around. Has George found love? Perhaps. But before the romance can blossom, George must fend off her evil fiancé and at least three other villains. Yeah, there are too many villains in this movie. <laughs> There's, yeah. This movie felt like it was three episodes of the cartoon all crammed together. And then just kind of like being told disjointedly. And... Unfortunately, because it's only got like an hour and a half runtime, there are huge swaths of plot that the narrator literally literally is just like, that's not important. Moving on. And it's like, I, I might have liked to have seen the, you know, ninja gorillas fight those mercenaries. And I might have liked to have seen Lyle through the entire second act. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's weird because there's so much that's just kind of not there because they want to tell this story and also this story and also this story and kind of this story and a little bit of this story. It's like, pick a story, pick one story movie. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's quite a lot going on. And, uh, I, at, when I, when I watched it, I was actually quite charmed by the clip that this movie moves at. Uh, but then talking with you guys about it, Greg has sort of uh, talked me out of that perspective, <laughs> pointing out that this is a deeply, edited movie edited in terms of like how many cuts between shots there are and like the length of the shots um it is frenetic and it it wasn't until you kind of pointed it out to me after that i was like oh shit yeah there's like every five seconds there's a cut like it's the ultimate montage movie yeah at one point uh during the the fight with the lion um brennan fraser is fighting this lion and it keeps cutting back to reaction shots of Ursula. Later on, he's having a fight with the mercenaries. It keeps cutting back to reaction shots from Ape. Like, nothing has a moment to breathe because we need to cut to somebody reacting to the thing that we're not now seeing because we had to cut to the reaction shot. Yeah, lots of animals, like, shaking their heads or, like, roll, you know, rolling their heads. Like, oh, isn't that like It has, like, a visual laugh track. Yeah, kind of. Mm, yeah. In, yeah, in the same way a sitcom, like, tells you when to laugh with the laugh track, this tells you when to laugh by, like, cutting to a monkey, like, rubbing its face, going, ay, 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 <laughs> Dude, I also feel like it had um, a laugh track and the score, in the sense that, like, the score was always very bombastic when the movie wanted you to laugh. Um, and it kind of reminded me of sort of, like, watching uh, something like Big Bang Theory, where you... There's a joke, but it's not really a not really a joke. But the audience is laughing anyway. That's how the score felt to me. Like this was like this is a joke, bop, 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 bop. and then yeah, something 
deeply unfunny happens and I you get no reaction out of me throughout especially in the action sequences that's it, there was just so many symbols clashing and everything and just like it just felt like a lot of loud noise and when you couple that with the frenetic editing and being tossed from like you guys say to reaction shot to reaction shot yeah it starts to be not a lot of fun and most of those edits I would argue uh, tend to undercut or full-on ruin the joke that they are trying to present to us uh i don't think you're wrong but one of the things i liked about how quickly they'll serve up a joke kind of tell you to laugh at it and then move on is a lot of family movies love to really like you know ring as much of the joke as out of it as they can, like really be like, look, we made one joke. Um, it was what I was complaining about when we did Ghostbusters Afterlife, like it, you know, it, jokes being explained, jokes being belabored, and so you're probably right. Some of these edits killed some of the jokes, but at least there were no jokes that they just like lingered on and patted themselves on the back and make sure <laughs> you got. It was definitely like dense with jokes. How good they were is arguable, but it was yeah. dense with jokes, yeah. especially because all the ADR. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the it's the Mel Brooks approach to making a comedy movie. You throw as many jokes as you can at the audience because if one misses, in theory, the next one might hit. But yeah. when they're all misses, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's 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 very glaringly obvious. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that they were all misses. I think it did a good job of like capturing cartoon energy definitely in I w- yeah yeah sorry I, I didn't mean to to step up. no go, i've been rambling yeah you're like i think we're agreeing it it did do a good job of being a live action cartoon for sure and and i will say that to its credit it definitely felt like a breathless episode of like one of those old cartoons like like a rocky and bullwinker or george, uh, george of the jungle where it's like stuff keeps happening and we've crammed a whole plot into like 15 minutes because we're in one segment of a longer show and it's just bang 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 but the problem is when you stretch that out over an hour and a half yeah the formula doesn't really work cuz you're you're not doing a sketch you're doing a whole film and mm-hmm. You need to do more than just a sketch that's been, or in this case, three sketches that have been drawn out painfully long. Yeah. Yeah, the best example I can think of of, of something not working in this movie is, uh, unfortunately, when Brendan Fraser makes his big reveal. Like, he's he's swinging into the, to the rescue and doing the thing that uh, George of the Jungle does that everybody knows, which is run into a tree. But as he's swinging into the tree, we get like... He hit that tree! (laughs) (laughs) As he's swinging into the tree, we get like four or five cuts of him swinging before he actually hits the tree. And then when we get to the, the tree hit, like it's... This happens several times in the movie. It's often in the wrong angle. Like it's hard to it's hard to see what exactly just happened. Like we we don't get that clean sort of one shot of him swinging in and then smacking into something. And that's the joke. That's a good point. And that's that's why it's that's why it's funny. It's like because you're expecting him to have like this this long arc and then he stops dead. That's the joke. But when you stop, 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 the joke is ruined. Yeah, yeah you do one one full shot of him swinging. 
he hits the tree, the camera keeps going. Right. And then comes back to him. Exactly. There's that's comedy. Fu- that's funny. <laughs> well, just like, because like, in the cartoon, it would be one unbroken shot. It, and it probably is. why they yeah. did it, because it was, they probably paid really good money to do it once and then reused it a million times. But he goes <laughs> from one side of the screen to the other, makes impact, and it's hilarious. Whereas, yeah, on his way to it making impact, there's five reaction shots, and then we see the hit, and it, like, kind of loses all momentum. That's a good, I hadn't, yeah. Maybe I wasn't watching this with critical enough eyes. <laughs> well, I think also like uh, like none of the impacts, um, whether they're you know whether they're punches or or tree hits or whatever, none of, none of them feel like anyone has connected with anything. Uh, it all feels like they're you know pulling their punches or pulling their tree hits, as it were, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. like nothing feels like it's connecting, and I think that also undercuts the comedy because like you, you know you. you you know, part of the physical comedy is, is feeling that impact, you know? Damn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that you pointed out, this movie does not sell a single tree hit, and that's really the whole... That's his, like, that's well, Georgia Jungle's whole thing. It's the whole bit. <laughs> that's it's, the bit. It's literally part of the song, yeah. Yeah, so if you don't get the bit right, then, yeah, it's it's tough to... Yeah, they... <laughs> they should have like, like a stunt guy like really try to sell these big hits real real um like jackass style like really yeah. sell them yeah. legit question on, on the note of george of the jungle is known for hitting trees how familiar are the three of us with george of the jungle from the cartoon or from the weird owl song from the cartoon as i said at the beginning I, I know of George of the Jungle primarily through Weird Al Yankovic having done Which? a cover of the theme song. Okay. I, I'm like, I'm not familiar with that particular Yankovic number. I uh, I, I just quite quickly want to rewind if I could just because uh, Liam hit on something uh, really, I think, maybe salient here when he was talking about the like having a, like a stuntman doing, doing it because the movie has like a really awesome bonafide stunt scene where mm-hmm. there's a guy swinging on uh, I can't remember which bridge is it in San Francisco it's not the uh, Golden Gate it's the other one it, whatever goes, the big yeah, the, yeah. and um, it, like it's it's a it's a pretty harrowing stunt to pull to be swinging off that huge bridge uh, trying to make your way to, I think there was there's a parachute guy that got stuck on the bridge, and George is trying to swing to them. So yeah. they had um, they had the idea to use like a, a stunt guy to do the swinging in a big way, right? And and yet they didn't. And like when when it mattered, when they wanted, when they should have been using it for the comedy, they didn't bother and and kind of made it uh, uh, soft and, and unworkable. Yeah, they yeah they just used it for the the proper action scene and none of the none of the comedy. Yeah, physical comedy works when you feel the impact of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the funniest moments in Marvel movies that I can think of are when people get hit by something heavy, like mm-hmm. <laughs> and get, and go flying. Like it's it, as a comedy beat, like Hulk punching Thor uh, during uh, during Avengers. Hilarious. Yes. Yeah. I laugh every time uh, because it's because it's dumb and it's and it's physical and it's impactful. Um, And this you're absolutely right. In this movie, there's nothing. None of the physical comedy lands because none of the none of the hits land. Yeah. 
Yeah, the cartoon, the cartoony comedy lands. Like I bought him spinning a lion on his finger like a basketball. Like the effects look good. He was selling it. That was fun. But yeah, the, all the physical impacts. Every every time he hit a tree, it should have been like the Hulk smacking Loki back and forth at the climax of Avengers. A hundred percent. Every time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Likeable characters, though. I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. So I was just gonna touch on is they that okay. um, you know good, there's good. when you have when you you've got John Cleese playing an eight and an eight, and I think he does a, a pretty good job uh, voicing it. I, I I think the only unfortunate thing about that particular character is that he doesn't get enough uh, screen time and and not terribly involved in the plot other than um, being kidnapped for a little bit. Um, it it almost feels like the poacher plot was added in just to give Ape something to do. Yeah. Or, because we, we touched on this earlier, that there's a lot going on, a lot of villains, a lot of story threads that are kind of half explored. Um, maybe it wasn't so much more of him to do, but just like they didn't have the confidence in the material to let any of these storylines like sit and li- like really like linger. Um, yeah. Because yeah, there's there's the... Ape's gonna get kidnapped. There's Lyle trying to marry Ursula and being jealous of George. There's George and Ursula. There's George, the fish out of water. There's the whole thing with the mom. Um, yeah, there's a lot of little threads in this story that none of them really get a lot of time. Yeah, I feel like the writers wanted to do the fish out of water story from uh, George's perspective. and But it, it's they took a very, very long time to get there. Like you spend mm-hmm. the entire first act uh, in in the jungle, and then the whole second act is is the fish out of water story, and then that then that's over, and then we're back to the conclusion. I mean, you can almost cut that middle bit out, and just, you know if you if you did, you wouldn't miss a whole lot. Like you you could just yeah. do the first and second act back to back, and you wouldn't miss uh, too much in terms of plot. Yes, but I so I I, I guess I want to disagree a little because I was thinking about this even as we were watching it when we go in the third act we go back to the jungle and I'm like wow that whole second act was just him fish out of water in San Francisco and I I there was part of me that was like you want to set in the jungle it's George of the Jungle but you want to have these like modern moments this this fish out of water story and I like I I like I see what you're saying but I also feel like if they had spent any more time with him in San Francisco, it would have got old. There was like, they got, they got the right amount of fish out of water jokes and storyline. And then they sent him back to the jungle to not overstay that welcome. There's, there's one thing from the fish out of water story that really jarred with me. And that was how visually out of place it felt from the jungle stuff. Because the jungle stuff was like a set. Like it looked very like made up jungly. It looked very like old Tarzan TV mm-hmm. show. And the stuff in San Francisco was just like stuff in San Francisco. And it looked it looked really out of place compared to the jungle stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, because the jungle like there stuff was, looked like it was on a set. Like on yeah, a and, set. and so and so there was like a visual um there was something visually that wasn't jiving with George being in the city for me because of that. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it until like right now when you were talking about it. And I was like, oh yeah, because it felt really weird visually to see him in the city. And it's because the jungle stuff is so like 
is so artificial mm-hmm. and so deliberate and the city stuff is just very natural and like the lighting is different the the color palette is different it's it's visually jarring you, you said artificial but you know what it is it's cartoony everything in the yeah, jungle yeah. from the from not just george and the talking animals and the the kind of cheesy set but even the way lyle is such an over the top cartoon villain the the tour guides the the um local tour guides they all that whole time, that whole first act feels very cartoony and then it gets incredibly grounded <laughs> yeah it goes it turns, back to feeling cartoony. it turns into it turns There's into no a fish out of water rom-com yeah. in the second act yeah. instead of about being a weird jungle cartoon yeah like and i'm not trying to be cute here he never juggles a lion in san francisco and he should have you know what I mean? Like, he, there's nothing really goofy happening in San Francisco, whereas in the, right. in the in the jungle, we're marrying apes, we're juggling lions. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. put it in terms of of movies that we've done on this show, it's the it's the Grinch, and then Splash, and then back to the Grinch, right? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. But yeah, we were. We sort of we, we started talking about how great Ape was and and uh, the the characters and stuff. I do want to touch back on that because I think not only was Lyle a very funny, somewhat funny. I don't want to say very entertaining enough cartoon villain, but the way he played off the the tour guides, the mm-hmm. the local tour guides, I thought was like quite endearing. Like it just really made him look like the ugly American. The whole thing with the camera where the guys like. He's like, oh, magic picture box. Well, I've got a 35 millimeter Kodak, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was- I honestly, I wish that we hadn't lost the tour guides after the first act because I, I desperately wanted to see more of those interactions. Yeah. 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 I think they were, uh, they were kind of keeping that whole thing flowing a little bit. Um, I have a fix for this for the, when we get to that, just, uh, Know, eliminating some of the uh, the fish out of water stuff. We're actually kind of repurposing it. So, well, actually, I I also am kind of eager to get to my fixes because I think some of it's pretty obvious, and I'm, I'm wondering if we either all came to different so like different solutions or different problems. We'll see. But I, I say, why don't why don't we uh, when we go to the fixes now? Let's hear from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Is This For Real is a podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall host Omar Salaflu explores anti-black racism in policing and tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters in future seasons on Patreon. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We've got fixes for George of the Jungle. Uh, I usually throw to you guys, but I think I'm going to start this time. I want to I wanna start with my fix, because I, I think mine's simpler than what some of what you've suggested to me will be. 
Um, cause I think we all agree that there is some incongruity with the middle, like act two is incongruous with acts one and three. Um, and I, I, I have a sneaky suspicion. We all have different fixes for that. So I want to start, um, because the way this movie is plotted, Ursula and company go into the jungle. They meet George. There's this whole sort of moment where, um, a lighter that looks like a gun gets mistaken for a real gun. Lyle shoots George, ends up in, was it Ugandan prison or? Yeah. I don't want to sound something, ignorant. Something like that. I, I think it's a fake country, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I think I think it was like a, yeah, a real, um, like a made up African country, which is a little unfortunate. But nonetheless, he ends up in uh, uh, jail on the other side of the, the world. Uh, George goes back to America to get health care for the gun gun wound he suffered. Um then there's this whole plot with Ursula's parents, specifically her mom, being very mad that she has brought home this jungle man and not Lyle, being very mad that she wants to not marry Lyle, and then being extremely mad that she wants to fall in love with this jungle man. And then because of the Tuki Tuki bird flew across the world to tell George that apes in trouble, he FedExes or UPSs himself back to the jungle and has a third act where everything comes together. Um, Lyle is nowhere to be seen in that second act. Nope. (laughs) Which we have discussed. Um, And sort of the mom takes the place of the overbearing antagonist who insists that Ursula marry Lyle. Uh, And so my fix is more or less keep the movie the same, um, but you cut the mom entirely and have don't have it so that Lyle shoots George and has to go to jail for a third of the movie (laughs) Um, have this mistake with the gun happen maybe even blame the tour guides or blame like kind of no one and Lyle ever um, generous uh, ever ever the the sort of caring individual trying to show his wealth show off his his um, status over George foots the bill for the medical care in America and goes back with them and spends the entire second act insisting Ursula marry him the same way the mom does. And then when it's finally revealed that not only does Ursula not want to marry him, but she's in love with George, he gets pissed off and tricks George into going back to the jungle by throwing him in a UPS box and ship box and shipping him back to the jungle. And then once in the jungle, Tuki Tuki Bird is like, actually, George, pretty good you're here because those guys stole Ape. Um, and more or less, the, the rest of the third act goes on the same. The first act, mostly unchanged, just all that overbearing nonsense from the mom comes from an ever-increasingly frustrated Lyle. Is my fix. Yes? No? Uh, yeah, that that works. Um I like the mom <laughs> uh, more than I more than I like more than I like the poachers. Actually, if I was okay. to keep two villains, I'd keep the mom and I'd keep Lyle. Um, your fix works. It might work better than than what my suggestion was going to be, which was that the moment that the mom finds out that Lyle's in prison, she immediately bails him out, and then when they have Ursula's. Uh, uh, engagement party, the surprise engagement party is a real surprise because Lyle's there. 
because Sick. he's been bailed out of prison. And that gets him back into the second act and it makes the mom more villainous because she's actively trying to bring Lyle back into her life. That was that was my suggestion. I actually, I do kind of like yours though. It makes uh, Lyle much more, it, it, it allows us to see Lyle's descent into further and further villainy that way. Which to I the think point where at the end, yeah, he's willing to force a woman to marry him because yeah. he's got, you know, church powers. Can I? And he's <laughs> boxing up George and sending him back to the jungle like an animal. And yeah. I'll even give you this. If you really want to keep the mom, one of his schemes in the second act is to kind of like sick the mom on him. And it's the mom's almost like a mini boss in the second act. She's your Hulkbuster armor. She's your act two <laughs> action piece. Um <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, when the mom can't do it, he's like, fine, I'll do this. Like, it's the classic villain. Like, you fools, I'd have to do everything myself. Um, I uh, didn't get the job done. I, I have a, a confession to make about Lyle revealing that he's joined a cult and become an ordained priest. Mm-hmm. Anita and I, for a moment, thought that the twist was going to be that in the third act, he reveals he's a priest and... When she's like, I don't want to marry you, he's like, oh, cool. And then he was going to marry her and George. Like, we thought that was going to be set up as, like, the, oh, yeah. the funny yeah, twist at the I end. Too. And that was not at all the case. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were very thrown by what was going on. Yeah, the the ending where he, like, f- is going to just, like, force Ursula to marry him is very strange. And I, the best they get out of it is this dumb joke where he accidentally marries himself to the monkey. Yep. And I'm like, that's not a strong enough joke to have a forced marriage subplot. I kind of would maybe s- skip that. And it's more of just a demanding patriarchal forcing than any like literal, I'm going to say the magic words and you're married to me. Yeah, I think I think we can lose the poachers altogether, really. Uh, we need to come up with a, a new way to use ape throughout the second and third act. But I think... If we, if assuming that we stick mostly with your way, we we find a way to to work in the mom. But but Lyle is the one who insists on bringing George back to the states. That gives George, ironically, more time to fall in love with Ursula. Mm-hmm. Lyle is trying to play spoiler and trying to keep her focused on him, meddling with her family, uh, making more and more large grand overtures. Finally, he gets sick of having George there, ships him off to the jungle. Ursula follows him to the jungle because she realizes I'm in love with George. You shipped him away to the jungle. I'm going back to the jungle. Lyle follows her, of course, because like that's so we got them all back in the jungle now. And then you have your big jungle showdown. Um, I don't think you need the poachers there. I think that Ursula going back is reason enough for Lyle to go back. Ursula's motivation to go back is George is there. George and Ursula are back together. We're good. Yeah, actually doesn't really need to be in danger. Yeah. Or um, Lyle puts Ape in ja- danger when he gets back because he knows that Ape is George's brother, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you're not going to marry Ursula or I'm going to do this Ape in or something. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if you cut the poacher thing, which is most of most of the third act is rescuing Ape from the poachers, which honestly, the fight with the poachers was probably the weakest part. It was I'm okay. too cartoony. Yeah, I'm even um, okay with keeping those two characters because I quite like Max and um, Thor. Thor, uh, but they can just be Lyle's lackeys. Like he needs, yeah. he needs some goons. That works. Yeah. They can still be around. So yeah, maybe the maybe yeah, G- G- George doesn't have to go back to the jungle to save Ape. He's just sent back there, and that that little bit of time we we save um, or or do, don't use rescuing Ape from the poachers could be used for like. 10, 15 more minutes of fish out of water stuff. 
or 10, 15 more minutes of Lyle doing some villainous stuff in the jungle. Yeah. He hires the same guides to get him back to the treehouse. We get more with the guides in Lyle. It works. Yeah. Greg, you've been very quiet. What's your fix? (laughs) (laughs) I've been quiet because uh, my fix is nothing like yours. (laughs) I I should preface this by saying I have not read or seen anything regarding like Tarzan. So if this is just Tarzan, uh, my bad. But (laughs) so so I I was thinking just like you can have all the fish out of water stuff, um, but do it in the opposite direction. Uh, use, uh, use Ursula as the fish out of water. So she's the one that's, that's going into uh, George, George's world and experiencing all the weird things of the jungle uh, kind of thing. And you can kind of still have like sort of, uh, you know, George meeting the modern world through, you know, the types of things that uh, Ursula has brought with her in order to survive in the jungle, right? So you can still have those sort of like little modern things, um, and I and I I just completely eliminate uh, George going back to the Americas completely, and it just okay. ends up being so, more of like a, a cat and mouse game uh, between Lyle and these hired poachers, um, who are you know their entire their entire motivation can be. Um, you know, just trying to find this talking ape that they found and trying to trying to kidnap him, bring him back to the States and make loads of money. Um, meanwhile, like that's sort of like Lyle's motivation and the poachers are just like his henchmen. All right. So you just mm-hmm. all kind of like combine them into one big team. And I felt like it could kind of be a thing where George has this, you know, sort of wonderful, idyllic jungle upbringing he's very innocent um he's never met uh another human before right so he doesn't know what they're about or even has a great concept of like what evil is so you kind of get this sort of clash between his innocence and like these the sort of the the evil of of man kind of thing and that can be sort of like your 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 thrust like george that's what george is confronted with um pretty simple but like i just uh, i just didn't love the the bounding back and forth and i think it was just i think there was plenty of opportunity for comedy uh between you know uh you know ursula not understanding george's world and vice versa that you didn't really need to uh, change the uh the setting all that much there is a lot of tarzan in your pitch not gonna lie (laughs) uh but it's interesting that that you kind of touch on Tarzan a little, because one of the possibilities that I'd considered, if you're making a live action George of the Jungle, why not do why not lean into the fact that it is already a parody of Tarzan, and do like do like a classic style Tarzan film, but like straight comedy, like Spaceballs it or Robin Hood Men in Tights it, like oh, yeah. do a Mel Brooks style parody of Tarzan with George of the Jungle, mm. that. That could have worked, maybe. Like yeah. play it dead, play it absolutely straight, but like with the the zaniness of like a pol- uh, like a police squad episode. Like that right. could have worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, especially because what you were describing, Greg. Like I, I agree with Scott in in so much as like what as you were describing what you were describing, Greg. I was like, okay, if it's if there's no fish out of water and it's just Lyle and his goons 
trying to fuck with different aspects of the jungle, essentially. George, the talking ape, all the other critters, all the other environments. The elephant that thinks it's a dog. Elephant thinks it's a dog. It it gives it a real Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner vibe, which is already a cartoon. So lean into this like impotent attempts to catch the Roadrunner. Like you just go you one scene is Ursula and and George making eyes at each other, and the next scene is Lyle and his goons trying to catch that ape, and they, you know, paint a Paint a, a, a tunnel on a wall and run into it, yada, yada. Like, <laughs> it's just those kind of, like, those kind of... And especially if we take the note we had from the beginning of the episode, where it's, like, up the physical comedy, really sell the physical comedy. If you've got these guys, like, you know, not just falling in the occasional elephant turd, but, like, really getting the shit kicked out of them in the jungle, you know, almost as much as... Like, for every time George hits a tree, you've got these guys getting bit by snakes and falling off waterfalls. And oh, man, like, I so wanted Lyle to get bitten by a snake at some point and, like, blow up to balloonish size from poison. Yeah. That would have been hilarious. Yeah, real cartoon, like, really put him and his goons through the cartoon ringer. Yeah, one of them gets, one of them, like, falls in poison ivy and just is, like, itching for the rest of the, the time. Like, absolutely, yeah. 100%. Way funnier, than, way funnier than just having Brendan Fraser eat well, McDonald's on the top of a streetcar. While the three guides are laughing at them for being stupid, like. Yeah. Yeah, and then you get more of the guides too. And yeah. I think you're right. You can have all the all the fish out of water stuff just with whatever Ursula packed with her. Like, ooh, what's this? A camera? Ooh, what's this? A radio? Like, yeah. Puts on some of Lyle's clothes, looks all hunky. You know. The funny I will say the funniest line in I think of the whole movie is when he's in San Francisco and he's chasing the horse around. And then all the women are fawning over him. And then there's two guys in the back being like, what is this about chicks and horses? <laughs> um, that was probably the funniest line of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like your idea, uh, Greg. And it, it, it breaks up some of that incongruity, too. Like you were saying, it's, it's, it goes from jungle set cartoony to, you know, Encino Man. And then back to um, I cartoon said in the that. jungle. I yeah. said that to Anita while we were watching it. I was like, when did this movie turn into Encino Man? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you went back to the city and the city had sort of, um, oh, this is a bad example, but more of like a Tim Burton-y vibe or something like that, like, you know, maybe it'd be a little bit more congruent like, with the rest of yeah, the, the, it's the aesthetic. It's visually more colorful, more elevated, like, like, yeah. a, like a 60s Gotham City from Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. it's just it's a little cartoony. It's a the 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 reality's a little heightened the way that it is in the jungle. Yeah. I think that it would have jived better. Yeah. Is there okay, so the one thing about losing San Francisco is we lose that great set piece on the bridge where he rescues the parachuter. We would lose that. Is there room for a trip to like the biggest close city in this fake African country to have a moment like that, but it's like some backpackers or some, you know, uh, locals maybe who have like something happens to a local. Like you have a plane uh, crash. Plane crash. Yeah. Have oh, a plane crash in the jungle. There, there's your parachuter right there. George does a daring rescue. Ursula gets to fawn over the fact that he's a great hero. And, and Lyle, Lyle gets to try to rescue him first and looks like a complete doof and fails. <laughs> like there and you by go. Having a plane crash, you make it full circle. Cause that's how George ended up in the jungle. Yes. And we never really touched, uh, like, his origin story is never touched on beyond the opening cartoon credit crawl. So if it was, like, 
there's this moment where like he's having like flashbacks to to you know his youth and like George and Ursula not George and Ursula uh, Lyle and Ursula are like oh man that's how this guy got in the jungle he had a it was a plane crash and his family's gone oh that's so sad and tragic like um yeah have including a plane crash in the plot would have tied his origin up nicer too I think agreed. And given and Ursula can, an opportunity to learn, because then Ape can be like, oh, yes, I found him in the jungle when he was a tiny baby because he had fallen out of a plane that fell from the sky. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. And you can still rescue a parachuter. Exactly. Still <laughs> get that day. daring set piece. Absolutely. Great. I think if, if we go to San Francisco, we do it my way. But I think, Greg, you've made a sound case for not going to San Francisco at all. <laughs> Just so. by stealing Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the I'm a uh, hack. Uh, no, doing doing a doing a Robin Hood men in tights, but for Tarzan might. Have been, I, yeah, I think that would have been fun. I, I think you could get away with doing like even uh, uh, like like a sort of adult theme type uh, comedy as well, because it's you know it's you're, if you're going after boomers anyway. I mean, they're already adults, so you might as well uh, take it to the nth degree. I was just thinking, like in terms of like how. Uh, the the cartooniness is represented in this movie um, feels like a big missed opportunity uh, because I was thinking that like the mask was 1994 and like mm-hmm. way better representation of, of cartoony action inside of a movie inside of a live action yep. movie. So it was totally, you know, there's the technology was there. It was, they were totally capable of doing something uh, much, much more interesting uh, but uh, I guess I think uh, I think maybe budget was probably a little bit an issue because this does feel like a l- it feels a little cheap. Um, hard to say. Um, I'd be I guess that's something we could probably Google. Um, because I remember it being kind of a big deal when it came out. But also, 1997 was a wild year for movies. Like <laughs> this, a lot of amazing movies came out at this time uh, of history that I could like. Maybe this was the the cheap one they slapped on, you know, slapped out while they were trying to make masterpieces. Yeah, Austin Powers, liar, liar, uh, <laughs> the pest. Come on, <laughs> show me some of the good ones. Google. <laughs> did, you, did you Google nineteen ninety seven? No, I just I just said movies nineteen ninety seven, and it brought up the pest. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was actually a ninety nine percent invisible episode from about maybe a year or two ago, where they were talking about how the the boom in in not cineplexes multiplexes. Um, by having these theaters in the suburbs that had like 12 screens created this boom in the movie industry where they needed to make movies to fill them. Mm-hmm. And the reason there are so many, so many great movies from like 96 to like 2000 is because there was this like rush to be like, make fucking anything. We just got to fill these theater seats. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a great, I don't know which particular 99% of visible episode it was, but I, I if you want to dig through and find it, I recommend it. Cause it was very fascinating. It was a lot of stuff got bankrolled in that era that wouldn't have otherwise because they just needed content. Right. So some of some of the actual big ones were Starship Troopers, Men in Black, The Fifth Element, and of course the biggest of them all, Titanic. Yeah. Uh, George of the Jungle had a production budget of fifty-five million dollars, and it made one hundred and seventy-four point four million at the box office. So it definitely made bank. There was a sequel, though. It wasn't didn't star Brandon Fraser. You know who the only returning two cast members are? I know one of them. Uh, John was... Cleese and Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Who plays George in the sequel? I don't know. I can find out. Hold on. Look it up, Scotty. Look it up. That's a reference for Comedy Bang Bang fans. Uh, I hope you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, George is played by Christopher uh, Showerman. Okay. Showerman. I'm not familiar with him, and I apologize, Mr. Showerman, if your name is pronounced Showerman. I said Showerman. He's a growerman, not a showerman. <laughs> is that anything? Is that anything? <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> we get there. Um, cool. Yeah, I think we uh, I think we found some solid fixes for uh, an otherwise passable uh, family '90s comedy. Eh, passable. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> fine. How, it was fine. I think it was. It's fine. How how well do you guys remember the the John Goodman Flintstones movie? I didn't watch. I didn't it. see it. You've never. I saw it when it came out, but I obviously haven't seen it in almost thirty years. <laughs> yeah, I thought. I, I think even when I was that age, I was like, "That looks terrible. I don't want to watch it." <laughs> it's in the Criterion Collection. It's not. I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the Criterion Collection with Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the. It's not that much of a stretch. <laughs> Uh, great. Well, uh, not only do we have our fixes, but our listeners had theirs. Thank you to everybody who commented. Keep your eye on our social media when we look for these uh, listener comments. We love reading your thoughts on air. It always adds to our conversation. So please don't hesitate to give us your thoughts on the film if you've seen it, or hell, even if you haven't. Uh, your impressions from the trailer, why you decided not to watch it. Um, we love your comments. Uh, and again, uh, suggestions for movies, because uh, sometimes we're nepotistic and we'll get our girlfriends and wives to suggest movies, but we really do want your suggestions. So at any time, um, hit us up in the DMs or just a regular post. Let us know the movies you want us to notarize. Uh, but listener comments for George of the Jungle. Tack says, far be it for me to forsake my vucare on ice long enough to scoff at the unsophisticated humor of George of the Jungle, but maybe the limit, uh, maybe limit the amount of crotch shots? For goodness sake, it's a movie for little kids. Don't give them ideas. Yeah, but little kids find that funny. <laughs> I, I, I did find the fight with the poachers near the end, where apes in a cage and George is like, kind of going toe-to-toe with these two guys like he's obviously better than them but he's got he's outnumbered probably the the most strained strained my credulity the most in terms of like the cartooniness to real world ratio it was very stupid like <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't disagree uh yeah a lot of a lot of people getting hit in the nuts and f- farted on <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> lots of farts is this is this the movie with the most fart jokes out of anything we've of, done on out this of anything movie? we've seen on this podcast? Yeah, quite possibly. I haven't been counting the farts is the problem, so I would need <laughs> to go back and watch all the movies and make a fart tally to know for yeah. sure. Well, I remember he was just ripping stinkers left and right in the Da Vinci Code, so <laughs> uh. <laughs> that was the that was the first one I was going to go back to. Is like if there's yeah. anything that was going to beat George of the Jungle, it would have been Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Cut the yes. cut the Snyder farts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andrew Craig says, I think Brendan Fraser is pretty great in this. Replace Leslie Mann and, dare I say, do the movie as a hybrid live-action animated film like Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. Hmm. Hmm. First of all, repl- I know Andrew's not here to corroborate or um, uh, elaborate. Not corroborate. Elaborate. Um, replace Leslie Mann with who? 
Uh, and I guess what is animated and what isn't? Is it the animals? Do like a Mary Poppins thing? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I on the one hand, like the the elephant that thinks it's a dog is also is already basically an animated cartoon. And mm-hmm. ape, while looking great as an animatronic, could have been a cartoon. Tuki could have been a cartoon. You could have made the jungle stuff literally more cartoonish. The problem is that if anything makes the San Francisco stuff more jarring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the, I think the problem Make with the that is like cartoon. it's it it adds an extra conceit to the movie that already has one. You know, like it's it's sort yeah. of like adding an extra layer that that may actually confuse things more than anything. Yeah, one of the reasons why it works in Roger Rabbit is because the tunes are actual cartoons. Like that's the conceit of what yeah. they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And and the spectacle is cartoon characters interacting with real people. In this case, you're just cheating by making the animals cartoons it feels like i don't know and, yeah and i feel like some of the draw is to be like oh we can you know it's gonna the trailer is gonna look good it's generally gonna look good because we can we can put all these animals in the movie it's the same reason like you do a dr Doolittle movie it's like regardless of how good the movie is one of the draws is like it's a bunch of footage of animals like people love animals and let's be fair, if this movie was made today, all the animals would have been like Andy Circus in a mocap. <coughs> oh, yeah. So. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was actually going to oh, be one of my spe- notes was like, like, I don't like, you know, make it just an enti- entirely animated movie. Like, it just, you know, do a full on CG movie or, or just a full on animated movie. Because I, I don't know. I don't like in general, I don't like this, the aesthetic of trying to make live action cartoony i don't think it works very often um it, it it works it works when it's sort of being commented on but when it's when you're trying to do a cartoon as a as a live action movie it doesn't seem to uh be very funny to me i i find that i'm having to go a long way uh to suspend my disbelief uh yeah it's just not a it's just not a type of or a style that i'm into counterpoint I mean, that- Speed Racer. Yeah, I, I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet you might have heard me say almost the exact same thing during that episode. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing: I really liked Speed Racer, so I think that you can translate uh, a cartoon's style and energy into real life. I just yep. don't think this there's, movie there's did lots very of examples, job. and I think this one. I don't think this one is a bad example. I think it's a bad example of a good movie, but it's not a bad example <laughs> of a movie that translates cartoon energy into a live action well. So I think Speed Race is a good example. I think George of the Jungle is a good example. I think it does a good job feeling like a cartoon while being live action. Um, probably more than the the Flintstone movie, if I'm honest. Um, Scott, I watched Scott Pilgrim recently. That's another one that just like takes these like visual cues from the medium and applies them to live action in a way that like just that works. works. I, 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 a lot about George of the Jungle does not work, but I think the cartooniness of it does, though it is valid if you're not into it. Yeah, I, I think it's more, it's, it's the, the angle towards children, I think, that doesn't uh, work for me. Because, like, Scott Pilgrim works as something that, like, translates animated styles very well, but it's not, like, a, it's not a children's comedy, and it's not trying to do that type of goofy humor. And I think that's, I think that's, part of what I don't what I don't well, like about it all, a whole lot. Speed Racer's kind of in the same boat because it's aping anime style, yeah. right? Yeah. So Yeah. 
I said, Speed Racer is just a little, like, and there's other reasons why I don't think Speed Racer works, but like, it's this, it this, like when you're trying to do like Looney Tunes style humor in in a movie, um, and trying to, uh, do, uh, you know, and there's no sort of like Roger Rabbit conceit. Like, I just don't know if it works for me at all. Yeah, Fair. I quickly looked up some other ones. There's the uh, obviously the Flintstones. Uh, there's the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. <laughs> I, for- I forgot. Uh, poor sweet Keenan Thompson made a Fat Albert movie. Um, seeing if there's any other ones to stand out. Yeah, and it was Brendan Fraser as Dudley Do Right. Casper. I forgot about the Casper movie. Oh yeah. Um, oh boy. That was, was that- around the same time too. I think. I think uh, there was a couple of those, wasn't there? There might have, yeah, I guess, I think, or I think some of them were more direct-to-video. Sure. Yeah. Scooby-Doo movie, guys. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, the Scooby-Doo movie works. <laughs> I haven't seen it. See, the thing is, is, like, I haven't seen a lot of these because I don't... <laughs> <laughs> it's just not my jam. That's I haven't fair. I haven't seen the Flintstones. I haven't seen Casper. I haven't seen the Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah, it's just not okay, for me. Here's, here's just a fun... I will forever think of the Casper movie. This is not really related to... to George of the Jungle, but fun fun story for my life. Um, the vi- it was called Five Star Video in Spruce Grove, where I grew up. Um, we go rent movies all the time, and they did the thing where like you'd ring them, you know, the old video store thing where they they ring up your rentals, and then they put them on the other side of the like magnet detector, and then you take them on your way out the door, right? Because you can take the movies through the magnet detector; it would beep. And there was a turnstile to prevent people from going in and out. And I remember as a kid, the way the turnstile was designed, it would only go one direction. And then you couldn't turn it. It would go either. Like, it would only go clockwise or only go counterclockwise. Forget what it would have been. And it couldn't go back. But there was also a horizontal bar just above it, about halfway, for whatever design reason. And my bro- my little brother got his head stuck because it was that thing of like, he, he pushed it too far and then couldn't push it back any farther. And he got his head stuck between the turnstile bar and the bar that was stationary that hovered just above the turnstile bar. <laughs> what does this have to do with Casper? It was very traumatic. He was crying. My, they, they got him out. Uh, and to make him feel better, the video store people gave him a poster. And it was the poster for Casper. And we had it up in our basement for years. So <laughs> every time I think about the movie Casper, I just think about my little brother getting his head stuck in the turnstile and my dad freaking out. Uh, <laughs> so, there you go. I'm sure I'm sure you guys will have plenty of experiences with your own children like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Sweet. Also, I told that story because that's all we have for listener comments. Um, <laughs> everyone I talk to, I'm like, yeah, we're doing George of the Jungle for the podcast. They're like, oh my god, I love that movie. They were all people younger than me. Um, I think this movie has a, a place in a lot of uh, people 30 and under's heart. Sure. Because um, yeah. uh, again, my, my partner really liked it. Um, but uh, not so much for our listeners, and that's fair. We'll get you on the next one. Uh, but thank you to Tack and Andrew uh, for commenting. Uh, and thank you for listening. Uh, this is this has been our, our fix for George of the Jungle. I'm glad we did. It's been a while since we did a family movie. People keep sending us action movies. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we like to we like to change it up. And yeah, Brendan Brendan Fraser's having a moment. Are you guys excited to see the whale? Do you have have you heard any of the buzz? Is that one of the ones on your radar? Uh, I've definitely heard some buzz, and apparently it's done really good on the festival circuit, despite some controversy about him having been in a fat suit, despite the fact that. 
a lot of the people complaining about him wearing a fat suit are also the people saying that he's too fat to do another mummy movie right now. So <laughs> can't it's, it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. I don't know. I'll probably get around to seeing though, because yeah. it's apparently quite good. Very gutting movie. Apparently when I want to feel sad, I'll see it. <laughs> All right, well then, uh, thank you again for listening. You can follow us uh, uh, at I have some notes on Twitter. Uh, if we're still <laughs> giving Elon Musk our tweets and attention, you can follow <laughs> for for the time being. We're on Twitter at I have some notes um, at I have some notes pod on Instagram and Facebook.com slash I have some notes. Uh, wherever it is you're listening to this, please give us a subscription if you haven't already. By that I mean subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate, review it. Uh, wherever it is you're listening, it really does help us out. You know, uh, both George and Lyle in this movie offer very contrasting views of how a man should act. And if you're mm-hmm. interested in exploring that any further, you can check out Modern Manhood. Herman Viegas interviews guests who offer varied perspectives on masculinity. You can check it out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And uh, yeah, that's also where you can find uh, our podcast. So uh, do that. Uh, those X-Men movies, they're full of old mutants. We want to see new mutants. So join us in two weeks for new mutants. And of course, yeah, give us those, those comments as well. I'm sure you got them. We all saw new mutants. <laughs> uh, until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. And, and watch, watch out, out for that, for that tree. Ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Just take it again. Take the no, whole thing okay. again. I'll that let you a, do it. I'll we let did you do it. it. We did it in sync. We can keep it. It's fine. It's fine.